Welcome to The Bondage of the Will by Martin Luther. We are continuing to read at page 58 for this reading. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts, are on the web at www.swrb.com. Also, please consider, pray, and act upon the important truths found in the following quotation by Charles Spurgeon. As the Apostle says to Timothy, so also he says to everyone, Give yourself to reading. He who will not use the thoughts of other men's brains proves that he has no brains of his own. You need to read. Renounce as much as you will all light literature, but study as much as possible sound theological works, especially the Puritanic writers and expositions of the Bible. The best way for you to spend your leisure is to be either reading or praying. And now, to SWRB's reading of The Bondage of the Will, which we hope you find to be a great blessing and which we pray draws you nearer to the Lord Jesus Christ, for He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by Him. John 14.6 And now, page 58. Section 20. But the doctrine concerning the liberty of confession and satisfaction, you either deny or know not that there is the word of God. And here arises another inquiry. But we know and are persuaded that there is a word of God in which the Christian liberty is asserted, that we might not suffer ourselves to be ensnared into bondage by human traditions and laws. This I have abundantly shown elsewhere. But if you wish to enter the lists, I am prepared to discuss the point with you and to fight it out. Though upon these subjects I have books extant, not a few. But the laws of the popes, you say, may at the same time be born with and observed in charity, if perchance thus eternal salvation by the word of God and the peace of the world may together consist without tumult. I have said before, that cannot be. The prince of this world will not allow the Pope and his high priests and their laws to be observed in liberty, but his design is to entangle and bind consciences. This the true God will not bear. Therefore the word of God and the traditions of men are opposed to each other with implacable discord, no less so than God himself and Satan who each destroy the works and overthrow the doctrines of the other, as regal kings each destroying the kingdom of the other. He that is not with me, saith Christ, is against me. Luke 11.23 And as to a fear that many who are depravedly inclined will abuse this liberty, this must be considered among those tumults as a part of that temporal leprosy which is to be born and of that evil which is to be endured. But these are not to be considered of so much consequence as that for the sake of restraining their abuse the word of God should be taken out of the way. For if all cannot be saved, yet some are saved, for whose sake the word of God is sent, and these, on that account, love it the more fervently and assent to it the more solemnly. For what evils did not impious men commit before when there was no word? 
Nay, what good did they do? Was not the world always drowned in war, fraud, violence, discord, and every kind of iniquity? For if Micah 7.4 compares the best among them to a thorn hedge, what do you suppose he would call the rest? But now the gospel has come, men begin to impute unto it that the world is evil. Whereas the truth is that by the good gospel it is more manifest how evil it was, while without the gospel it did all its works in darkness. Thus also the illiterate attribute it to learning that by its flourishing their ignorance becomes known. This is the return we make for the word of life and salvation. And what fear must we suppose there was among the Jews when the gospel freed all from the law of Moses? What occasion did not this great liberty seem to give to evil men? But yet the gospel was not on that account taken away, but the impious were left, and it was preached to the pious that they might not use their liberty to an occasion of the flesh. Galatians 5.13 Section 21 Nor is this part of your advice or your remedy to any purpose where you say, it is lawful to speak the truth, but it is not expedient, either before everyone, or at all times, or in every manner. And ridiculously enough, you adduce Paul where he says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. 1 Corinthians 6.12 But Paul does not there speak of teaching doctrine or the truth, as you would confound his words and twist them which way you please. On the contrary, he will have the truth spoken everywhere at all times and in every manner, so that he even rejoices that Christ is preached even through envy and strife. Nay, he declares in plain words that he rejoices. Let Christ be preached in any way. Philippians 1, 15-18 Paul is speaking of facts and the use of doctrine that is, of those who, seeking their own, had no consideration of the hurt and offense given to the weak. Truth and doctrine are to be preached always, openly and firmly, and are never to be dissembled or concealed, for there is no offense in them. They are the staff of uprightness. And who gave you the power or committed to you the right of confining the Christian doctrine to persons, places, times, and causes when Christ wills it to be proclaimed and to reign freely throughout the world? For Paul saith, The word of God is not bound, 2 Timothy 2.9, but Erasmus bounds the word. Nor did God give us the word that it should be had with respect of places, persons, or times. For Christ saith, Go ye out into the whole world. He does not say, as Erasmus does, go to this place and not to that. Again, preach the gospel to every creature. Mark 16.15 He does not say, preach it to some and not to others. In a word, you enjoin in the administration of the word of God a respect of persons, a respect of places, a respect of customs, and a respect of times. Whereas the one and a special part of the glory of the word consists in this, that as Paul saith, there is with it no respect of persons, and that God is no respecter of persons. You see therefore again how rashly you run against the word of God, as though you preferred far before it your own counsel and cogitations. Hence if we should demand of you that you would determine for us the times in which the persons to whom and the manner in which the truth is to be spoken 
when would you come to an end? The world would sooner compute the termination of time and its own end than you would settle upon any one certain rule. In the meantime, where would remain the duty of teaching? Where that of teaching the soul? And how could you, who know nothing of the nature of persons, times, and manner, determine upon any rule at all? And even if you should know them perfectly, yet you could not know the hearts of men. Unless with you the manner, the time, and the person be this, teaching the truth so that the Pope be not indignant, Caesar be not enraged, and that many be not offended and made worse. But what kind of counsel this is you have seen above. I have thus rhetorically figured away in these vain words, lest you should appear to have said nothing at all. How much better is it for us wretched men to ascribe unto God, who knoweth the hearts of all men, the glory of determining the manner in which, the persons to whom, and the times in which the truth is to be spoken? For he knows what is to be spoken to each, and when, and how it is to be spoken. He then determines that his gospel, which is necessary unto all, should be confined to no place, no time but that it should be preached unto all at all times and in all places. And I have already proved that those things which are handed down to us in the Scriptures are such that they are quite plain and wholesome, and of necessity to be proclaimed abroad, even as you yourself determined in your paraclesis was right to be done, and that with much more wisdom than you advise now. But let those who would not that souls should be redeemed such as the Pope and his adherents, let it be left to them to bind the word of God and hinder men from life and the kingdom of heaven, that they might neither enter in themselves nor suffer others to enter. To whose fury you, Erasmus, by this advice of yours, are perniciously subservient. Section 22. Of the same stamp with this is that prudence of yours also with which you next give it as your advice, that if anything were settled upon in the councils that was wrong, it ought not to be openly confessed, lest a handle should be thereby afforded for condemning the authority of the fathers. This, indeed, is just what the Pope wished you to say, and he hears it with greater pleasure than the gospel itself, and will be a most ungrateful wretch if he do not honor you in return with a cardinal's cap together with all the revenues belonging to it. But in the meantime, friend Erasmus, what will the souls do that shall be bound and murdered by that iniquitous statute? Is that nothing to you? But however, you always think, or pretend to think, that human statutes can be observed together with the word of God without peril. If they could, I would at once go over to this your sentiment. But if you are yet in ignorance, I tell you again that human statutes cannot be observed together with the word of God because the former binds consciences and the latter looses them. They are directly opposed to each other as water to fire, unless indeed they could be observed in liberty, that is, not to bind the conscience. But this the Pope wills not, nor can he will it unless he wishes his kingdom to be destroyed and brought to an end. For that stands only in ensnaring and binding those consciences which the gospel pronounces free. The authority of the fathers, therefore, is to be accounted not. And those statutes which have been wrongly enacted, as all have been that are not according to the word of God, 
are to be rent in sunder and cast away, for Christ is better than the authority of the fathers. In a word, if it be concerning the word of God that you think thus, you think impiously. If it be concerning other things, your verbose disputing about your sentiment is nothing to me. I am disputing concerning the word of God. Section 23. In the last part of your preface, where you deter us from this kind of doctrine, you think your victory is almost gained. What, you say, can be more useless than that this paradox should be proclaimed openly to the world, that whatever is done by us is not done by free will, but from mere necessity. And that of Augustine also, that God works in us both good and evil, that he rewards his good works in us and punishes his evil works in us. You are mightily copious here in giving, or rather, in expostulating concerning a reason. What a floodgate of iniquity, you say, would these things publicly proclaimed open unto men? What bad man would amend his life? Who would believe that he was loved of God? Who would war against his flesh? I wonder that in so great vehemency and contending zeal you did not remember our main subject and say, where then would be found free will? My friend Erasmus, here again I also say, if you consider that these paradoxes are the inventions of men, why do you contend against them? Why are you so enraged? Against whom do you rail? Is there any man in the world at this day who has inveighed more vehemently against the doctrines of men than Luther? This admonition of yours, therefore, is nothing to me. But if you believe that those paradoxes are the words of God, where is your countenance? Where is your shame? Where is, I will not say your modesty, but that fear of and that reverence which is due to the true God when you say that nothing is more useless to be proclaimed than that word of God? What? Shall your Creator come to learn of you, His creature, what is useful and what is not useful to be preached? What? Did that foolish and unwise God know not what is necessary to be taught until you, His instructor, prescribed to Him the measure according to which He should be wise and according to which He should command? What? Did He not know before you told Him that that which you infer would be the consequence of this, His paradox? If, therefore, God willed that such things should be spoken of and proclaimed abroad without regarding what would follow, who art thou that forbiddest it? The Apostle Paul, in his epistle to the Romans, discourses on these same things, not in a corner, but in public and before the whole world, and that with a freely open mouth, nay, in the harshest terms, saying, Whom he will, he hardeneth. Romans 9.18 And again, God willing to show forth his wrath, etc. Romans 9.22 What is more severe, that is, to the flesh, than that word of Christ? Many are called, but few chosen. Matthew 22.14 And again, I know whom I have chosen. John 13.18 According to your judgment, then, all these things are such that nothing can be more uselessly spoken, because that by these things impious men may fall into desperation, hatred, and blasphemy. Here, then, I see you suppose that the truth and the utility of the Scripture are to be weighed and judged according to the opinion of men, 
nay, of men the most impious, so that what pleases them or seems bearable should be deemed true, divine, and wholesome. And what has the contrary effect upon them should at once be deemed useless, false, and pernicious. What else do you mean by all this than that the words of God should depend on, stand on, and fall by the will and authority of men? Whereas the scripture, on the contrary, saith that all things stand and fall by the will and authority of God, and in a word, that all the earth keeps silence before the face of the Lord. Habakkuk 2.20 He who could talk as you do must imagine that the living God is nothing but a kind of trifling and inconsiderate pedophagor declaiming on a certain rostrum, whose words you may... It, you be disposed, interpret, understand, and refute as you please, because he merely spoke as he saw a set of impious men to be moved and affected. Here you plainly discover how much your advice above, that the majesty of the judgments of God should be reverence, was from your heart. There, when we were speaking of the doctrines of the scripture only, where there was no need of reverencing things abstruse and hidden because there was no such doctrines, you owed us in the most religious terms with the darkness of the Cerisian cavern, lest we should rush forward with too much curiosity, so that by the awe you well nigh frightened us from reading the scriptures altogether, to the reading of which Christ and his apostles urge and persuade us, as well as you do yourself elsewhere. But here where we are come not to the doctrines of the scripture nor to the Cersean cavern only but to the very and greatly to be reverenced secrets of the divine majesty this why he works thus here as they say you burst open all bars and rush in all but openly blaspheming what indignation against God do you not discover because you cannot see his reason why and his design in this his counsel why do you not here frame as an excuse obscurity and ambiguity? Why do you not restrain yourself and deter others from prying into these things which God wills should be hidden from us and which he has not delivered to us in the scriptures? It is here the hand is to be laid upon the mouth. It is here we are to reverence what lies hidden, to adore the secret counsels of the divine majesty and to exclaim with Paul, who art thou, O man, that contendest with God? Romans 9.20 Section 24 Who, you say, will endeavor to amend his life? I answer, no man. No man can. For yourself amenders without the Spirit, God regardeth not, for they are hypocrites. But the elect and those that fear God will be amended by the Holy Spirit. The rest will perish unamended. Nor does Augustine say that the works of none, nor that the works of all are crowned, but the works of some. Therefore, there will be some who shall amend their lives. Who will believe, you say, that he is loved of God? I answer, no man will believe it. No man can. But the elect shall believe it. The rest shall perish without believing it, filled with indignation and blaspheming, as you here describe them. Therefore there will be some who shall believe it. And as to your saying that by these doctrines the floodgate of iniquity is thrown open unto men, be it so. They pertain to that leprosy of evil to be born, spoken of before. Nevertheless, 
by the same doctrines there is thrown open to the elect and to them that fear God a gate unto righteousness an entrance into heaven a way unto God but if according to your advice we should refrain from these doctrines and should hide them from men this word of God so that each deluded by a false persuasion of salvation should never learn to fear God and should never be humbled in order that through this fear he might come to grace and love then indeed we should shut up your floodgate to purpose for in the room of it we should throw open to ourselves and all wide gates nay yawning chasms and sweeping tides not only unto iniquity but unto the depths of hell thus we should not enter into heaven ourselves and them that we're entering in we should hinder what utility therefore you say is there in or necessity for proclaiming such things openly when so many evils seem likely to proceed therefrom I answer it were enough to say God has willed that they should be proclaimed openly but the reason of the divine will is not to be inquired into but simply to be adored and the glory to be given unto God who since he alone is just and wise doth evil to no one and can do nothing rashly or inconsiderately although it may appear far otherwise unto us with this answer those that fear God are content but that from the abundance of answering matter which I have I may say a little more than this which might suffice there are two causes which require such things to be preached the first is the humbling of our pride and the knowledge of the grace of God the second is Christian faith itself first God has promised certainly his grace to the humbled that is to the self deploring and despairing but a man cannot be thoroughly humbled until he comes to know that his salvation is utterly beyond his own powers counsel endeavors will and works and absolutely depending on the will counsel pleasure and work of another that is of God only for if as long as he has any persuasion that he can do even the least thing himself towards his own salvation he retains a confidence in himself and does not utterly despair in himself so long he is not humbled before God but he proposes to himself some place some time or some work whereby he may at length attain unto salvation but he who hesitates not to depend wholly upon the good will of God he totally despairs in himself chooses nothing for himself but waits for God to work in him and such an one is the nearest unto grace that he might be saved the other reason is that faith is in things not seen therefore that there might be room for faith it is necessary that all those things which are believed should be hidden but they are not hidden more deeply than under the contrary of sight sense and experience thus when God makes alive he does it by killing when he justifies he does it by bringing in guilty when he exalts to heaven he does it by bringing down to hell as the scripture saith the Lord killeth and maketh alive he bringeth down to the grave and raiseth up for Samuel 2 6 concerning which there is no need that I should speak here more at large for those who read my writings are well acquainted with these things thus he conceals his eternal mercy and loving kindness behind his eternal wrath his righteousness behind apparent iniquity 
This is the highest degree of faith, to believe that He is merciful who saves so few and damns so many, to believe Him just who according to His own will makes us necessarily damnable that He may seem, as Erasmus says, to delight in the torments of the miserable and to be an object of hatred rather than of love. If, therefore, I could by any means comprehend how that same God can be merciful and just who carries the appearance of so much wrath and iniquity, there would be no need of faith. But now, since that cannot be comprehended, there is room for exercising faith, while such things are preached and openly proclaimed, in the same manner as while God kills, the faith of life is exercised in death. Suffice it to have said thus much upon your preface. In this way, we shall more rightly consult for the benefit of those who dispute upon these paradoxes than according to your way, whereby you wish to indulge their impiety by silence and a refraining from saying anything which is to no profit whatever. For if you believe or even suppose these things to be true, seeing they are paradoxes of no small moment, such is the insatiable desire of mortals to search into secret things, and the more so the more we desire to keep them secret, that by this admonition of yours you will absolutely make them public. For all will now much more desire to know whether these paradoxes be true or not. Thus they will, by your contending zeal, be so roused to inquiry that not one of us ever afforded such a handle for making them known as you yourself have done by this over-religious and zealous admonition. You would have acted much more prudently had you said nothing at all about being cautious in mentioning these paradoxes if you wished to see your desire accomplished. But since you do not directly deny that they are true, your aim is frustrated. They cannot be concealed, for by their appearance of truth they will draw all men to search into them. Therefore, either deny that they are true altogether, or else hold your own tongue first, if you wish others to hold theirs. Section 25 As to the other paradox you mention, that whatever is done by us is not done by free will, but from mere necessity, let us briefly consider this lest we should suffer anything most perniciously spoken to pass by unnoticed. Here, then, I observe that if it be proved that our salvation is apart from our own strength and counsel, and depends on the working of God alone, which I hope I shall clearly prove hereafter in the course of this discussion, does it not evidently follow that when God is not present with us to work in us, everything that we do is evil, and that we of necessity do these things which are of no avail unto salvation? For if it is not we ourselves, but God only, that works salvation in us, it must follow whether or no that we do nothing unto salvation before the working of God in us. But by necessity, I do not mean compulsion, but, as they term it, the necessity of immutability, not of compulsion. That is, a man void of the Spirit of God does not evil against his will as by violence or as if he were taken by the neck and forced to it, in the same way as a thief or cutthroat is dragged to punishment against his will. But he does it spontaneously and with a desirous willingness. And this willingness and desire of doing evil he cannot, by his own power, leave off, restrain, or change. But it goes on, still desiring and craving. 
And even if he should be compelled by force to do anything outwardly to the contrary, yet the craving will within remains averse to and rises in indignation against that which forces or resists it. But it would not rise in indignation if it were changed and made willing to yield to a constraining power. This is what we mean by the necessity of immutability. That the will cannot change itself nor give itself another bent. But rather the more it is resisted, the more it is irritated to crave, as is manifest from its indignation. This would not be the case if it were free or had a free will. Ask experience how hardened against all persuasion they are whose inclinations are fixed upon any one thing. For if they yield at all, they yield through force or through something attended with greater advantage. They never yield willingly. And if their inclinations be not thus fixed, they let all things pass and go on just as they will. But again, on the other hand, when God works in us, the will, being changed and sweetly breathed on by the Spirit of God, desires and acts not from compulsion, but responsibly, from pure willingness, inclination, and accord, so that it cannot be turned another way by anything contrary, nor be compelled or overcome even by the gates of hell. But it still goes on to desire, crave after, and love that which is good. Even as before, it desired, craved after, and loved that which was evil. This again experience proves how invincible and unshaken are holy men when by violence and other oppressions they are only compelled and irritated the more to crave after good. Even as fire is rather fanned into flames than extinguished by the wind. So that neither is there here any willingness or free will to turn itself into another direction or to desire anything else while the influence of the Spirit and grace of God remain in the man. In a word, if we be under the God of this world, without the operation and Spirit of God, we are led captives by Him at His will, as Paul said, 2 Timothy 2.26, so that we cannot will anything but that which He wills. For He is that strong man armed, Whoso keepeth his palace that those whom he holds captive are kept in peace that they might not cause any motion or feeling against him. Otherwise, the kingdom of Satan, being divided against itself, could not stand. Whereas Christ affirms, it does stand. And all this we do willingly and desiringly, according to the nature of will. For if it were forced, it would be no longer will. For compulsion is, so to speak, unwillingness. But if the stronger than he come and overcome him and take us as his spoils, then through the Spirit we are his servants and captives, which is the royal liberty that we may desire and do willingly what he wills. Thus the human will is, as it were, a beast between the two. If God sit thereon, it wills and goes where God will. As the psalm said, I am become, as it were, a beast before thee, and I am continually with thee. Psalm 73, verse 22 through 23. If Satan sit thereon, it wills and goes as Satan will. Nor is it in the power of its own will to choose to which rider it will run, nor which it will seek, but the riders themselves contend which shall have and hold it. Section 26. 
And now, what if I prove from your own words in which you assert the freedom of the will that there is no such thing as free will at all? What if I should make it manifest that you unknowingly deny that which with so much policy you labor to affirm? And if I do not this, actually, I vow that I will consider all that I advance in this book against you revoked and all that your diatribe advances against me and aims at establishing confirmed. You make the power of free will to be that certain small degree of power which, without the grace of God, is utterly ineffective. Do you not acknowledge this? Now then, I ask and demand of you, if the grace of God be wanting, or if it be taken away from that certain small degree of power, what can it do of itself? It is ineffective, you say, and can do nothing of good. Therefore, it cannot do what God or His grace wills. And why? Because we have now separated the grace of God from it. And what the grace of God does not is not good. And hence it follows that free will without the grace of God is absolutely not free, but immutably the servant and bondslave of evil, because it cannot turn itself unto good. This being determined, I will allow you to make the power of free will not only a certain small degree of power, but to make it evangelical, if you will, or, if you can, to make it divine, provided that you add to it this doleful appendage that without the grace of God it is ineffective because then you will at once take from it all power for what is ineffective power but plainly no power at all therefore to say that the will is free and that it has indeed power but that it is ineffective is what the sophists call a direct contrariety as if one should say Free will is that which is not free. Or as if one should term fire cold and earth hot. For if fire had the power of heat, yea, of the heat of hell, yet if it did not burn or scorch, but were cold and produce cold, I should not call it fire, much less should I term it hot. Unless indeed you were to mean an imaginary fire or a fire represented in a picture. But if we call the power of free will that by which a man is fitted to be caught by the Spirit or to be touched by the grace of God as one created unto eternal life or eternal death may be said to be this power that is fitness or as the sophists term it disposition, quality and passive aptitude this I also confess and who does not know that this is not in trees or beasts for as they say heaven was not made for geese Therefore, it stands confirmed, even by your own testimony, that we do all things from necessity, not from free will. Seeing that, the power of free will is nothing, and neither does nor can do good without grace. Unless you wish efficacy to bear a new signification and to be understood as meaning perfection, that is, that free will can, indeed, will and begin, but cannot perfect, which I do not believe, and upon this I shall speak more at large hereafter. It now then follows that free will is plainly a divine term and can be applicable to none but the divine majesty only. For he alone doth, as the psalm sings, what he will in heaven and earth. Psalm 135, verse 6. Whereas if it be ascribed unto men, 
it is not more properly ascribed than the divinity of God himself would be ascribed unto them which would be the greatest of all sacrilege wherefore it becomes theologians to refrain from the use of this term altogether whenever they wish to speak of human ability and to leave it to be applied to God only and moreover to take this same term out of the mouths and speech of men and thus to assert as it were for their God that which belongs to his own sacred and holy name but if they must whether or no give some power to men let them teach that it is to be called by some other term than free will especially since we know and clearly see that the people are miserably deceived and seduced by that term taking and understanding it to signify something far different from that which theologians mean and understand by it in their discussions for the term free will is by far too grand copious and full by which the people imagine is signified as the force and nature of the term requires that power which can freely turn itself as it will and such a power as is under the influence of and subject to no one whereas if they knew that it was quite otherwise and that by that term scarcely the least spark or degree of power was signified and that utterly ineffective of itself being the servant and bond slave of the devil it would not be at all surprising if they should stone us as mockers and deceivers who said one thing and meant something quite different nay who left it uncertain and unintelligible what we meant for he who speaks sophistically the wise man saith is hated and especially if he does so in things pertaining to godliness where eternal salvation is at stake since therefore we have lost the signification of so grand a term and the things signified by it or rather never have them at all which the Pelagians may heartily wish had been the case being themselves eluded by this term why do we so tenaciously hold an empty word to the peril and mockery of the believing people there is no more wisdom in so doing than there is in kings and potentates retaining or claiming and boasting of empty titles of kingdoms and countries when they are at the same time mere beggars and anything but the possessors of those kingdoms and countries but however this is bearable since they deceive and mock no one thereby but only feed themselves on vanity without any profit but here is a peril of salvation and the most destructive mockery who would not laugh at or rather hold up to hatred that most untimely innovator of terms who contrary to all established use should attempt to introduce such a mode of speaking as by the term beggar to have understood wealthy not because such an one has any wealth himself but because some king may perchance give him his wealth and what if such an one should really do this not by any figure of speech as by paraphrases or irony but in plain serious meaning in the same way speaking of one sick unto death he may wish to be understood as meaning one in perfect health giving this as his reason because the one may give the other his health so also he may by illiterate idiot mean most learned because some other may perchance give him his learning of precisely the same nature is this man has a free will for this reason if perchance God should give him his by this abuse of the manner of speaking anyone may boast that he has anything that he is the Lord of heaven and earth if perchance God should give this unto him but this is not the way in which theologians should proceed 
This is the way of stage players and public informers. Our words ought to be proper words, pure and sober. And as Paul says, sound is speech that cannot be condemned. Titus 2, 7-8. But if we do not like to leave out this term altogether, which would be most safe and also most religious, we may nevertheless with a good conscience teach that it be used so far as to allow man a free will, not in respect of those which are above him, but in respect only of those things which are below him. That is, he may be allowed to know that he has, as to his goods and possessions, the right of using, acting, and omitting according to his free will. Although, at the same time, that same free will is overruled by the free will of God alone, just as he pleases. But that God word, or in things which pertain unto salvation or damnation, he has no free will, but is a captive, slave, and servant, either to the will of God or to the will of Satan. Section 27. These observations have I made upon the heads of your preface, which indeed themselves may more properly be said to embrace the whole subject than the following body of the book. But, however, the whole of these observations in reply might have been summed up and made in this one short compendious answer to you. Your preface complains either of the words of God or of the word of men. If of the words of men, the whole is written in vain. If of the words of God, the whole is impious. Wherefore, it would have saved much trouble if it had been plainly mentioned whether we were disputing concerning the words of God or of the words of men. But this, perhaps, will be handled in the exordium which follows or in the body of discussion itself. But the hints which you have thrown together in the conclusion of your preface have no weight whatever. Such as, you're calling my doctrines fables and useless, and saying that Christ crucified should rather be preached after the example of Paul. That wisdom is to be taught among them that are perfect, that the language of Scripture is attempered to the various capacities of hearers, and you are therefore thinking that it should be left to the prudence and charity of the teacher to teach that which may be profitable to his neighbor. All this you advance senselessly and away from the purpose. For rather do we teach anything but Christ crucified. But Christ crucified brings all these things along with himself, and that wisdom also among them that are perfect, for there is no other wisdom to be taught among Christians than that which is hidden in a mystery. And this belongs to the perfect, and not to the sons of the Jewish and legal generation, who without faith glory in their works, as Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 seems to think. Unless by preaching Christ crucified you mean nothing else but calling out these words, Christ is crucified. And as to your observing that God is represented as being angry in a theory, hating, grieving, pitying, repenting, neither of which, nevertheless, ever takes place in him. This is only purposely stumbling on plain ground. For these things neither render the scriptures obscure nor necessary to be attempered to the various capacities of hearers except that many like to make obscurities where there are none. For these things are no more than grammatical particulars and certain figures of speech with which even schoolboys are acquainted. But we in this disputation are contending not about grammatical figures but about doctrines of truth. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. 
Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts are on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com or by phone at 780-450-3730 or by fax at 780-468-1096 or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, T6L3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. If you do have a web connection and would like to be added to our email list, please send an email to add at swrb.com or simply swrb at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line. SWRB's email list is a double opt-in list, so once you've sent us your email address, you will be asked by email to confirm that you want to join our list using the email address you have supplied. Your email information, of course, will be kept confidential, and you can easily remove yourself from our email list by simply emailing us at swrb at swrb.com with the word remove in the subject line. Once you're on our email list, you will be alerted to all the new free Reformation resources, free MP3s, free electronic books and texts, etc. SWRB makes available on the web as well as at times our best discounts and super specials. We also encourage you to reproduce this audio resource and to pass it on to your friends. But we only authorize this as long as the full contents of the message, including the header and trailer, is not altered in any way and as long as the audio file or cassette is given away for free. We want to thank you again for listening to this SWRB reading. And remember that Isaiah 26.3 states, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. And 2 Corinthians 13.11 concludes, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you.